I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to The Leaf Report with Canadian Press National Hockey writer Jonas Siegel and The Athletic TO's James Myrtle. James, you are pretty sick. Hopefully you don't get me sick. Hopefully you don't cough on the podcast because that wouldn't be a great look. Uh, We got quite a bit to discuss. Uh, The Leafs actually aren't playing, so there isn't much game stuff to talk about. They're on their bye week. We can talk about the bye week, actually. Babcock had some interesting things to say about the the bye week over the weekend. Um, But let's start with something that we want to try a little bit new. We're going to play a quote. I guess we're going to play some audio, not a quote. Um, And then we're going to kind of react to it. So we'll play this quote from Lou Lamorello uh, talking about the Leafs season so far. I talked to him this week. So we'll play this quote. I'll give it a little break right now so the quote can actually be played. And then we'll talk about it. I personally do not look at it that way. Okay. You know, and you've heard me say this often, and it's been consistent throughout my whole career is that you know you're in a five-year plan no matter where you're at and it changes every single day uh you know in that type of thought process to, whether you're a little further here in one situation or a little to the side another uh, but i guess to answer the question that you asked i would say we're a little ahead uh, of where we might have thought we could uh but really 
and not saying that we shouldn't be here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like you don't the, the the you don't know how quickly some of the young players will adjust, and you also have to be very careful when you respond to a question like that at this time of the year after you know a little under 40 games. Um, you know, it's a long year, uh, and people who are not used to long schedules, there's so many intangibles that haven't really been answered yet. Uh, but we're pleased, certainly, with the development. I've said all along, the job that Mike and the coaching staff has done has just been tremendous, the way they've, uh, you know, had the young players, you know, you know, sort of mixed right in with the veterans. And also the veterans, the job that they've done, I think if you look at the year that they're having, uh, all in all, you know, everybody is, is really pulling their weight right now. Okay, so Lemarello says they're a little bit ahead of their expectations how much further do you think they are in front of their own expectations? Mm, it's tough to know. I think their expectations were to be quite a bit better than a last place team and to kind of enter the conversation as a wild card team, but miss. But I, I think their expectations were there were going to be more struggles, I think, from the young players and that they were going to be around an 85-point team or or even an 80-point team and that this was going to be kind of a stepping stone season. That was my expectation for the team is I think I remember saying around 85 points and they're going to trade away some guys at the deadline and they're going to be in really good shape for 2018 to to be a, a wild card team. And so I, I think my expectations were in line with the organization's ex- expectations, but and I'm sure we'll get into this, but I think just a lot of guys have exceeded expectations of everybody. Well, I wrote about um, what Lamarello said and, and basically exactly what you said. And you look at like the, the rookies, they've all basically beat whatever expectation you could probably have of them. Like Matthews and Marner are obvious. Zaitsev, I think, might even be more surprising than the rest just because he's playing 22 minutes on a top pair and looks fine. Uh, you look at Connor Brown, Zach Hyman, um, Soshnikov to a degree, he's kind of been stuck on that fourth line. But just about every young player has kind of got by the expectation that I think we might have had of them. Of that group, who do you think is the, the one that has most exceeded what you thought they could contribute this year? For me, I think it would actually... I know the obvious answer is, is maybe Marner or maybe Matthews, but I think it's Zaitsev. What do you think? Yeah, I like that answer. I mean, I when we did... Uh, was it the quarter season report card or whatever? I think we said Zaitsev was the most surprising player on the roster, so I'm okay with that. It's almost like... Uh, not even just the rookies, but like Frederick Anderson has been better than we expected he would be. Um, although his numbers are kind of at his career average right now. So, I mean, he had, he struggled to begin the year and then he struggled kind of in his last three or four starts going into the bye week, you know, and he's going to be so important in the second half. Um, I'm okay with Zaitsev, but you're, no, you're totally right. I think pretty much everyone is ex- like, look how well Connor Brown has played the last what month or more look how many points Zach Hyman has like I I don't think anyone would have expected that even if he was playing with Matthews Matthews has been we've talked about him he's been the the star of two of the last three podcasts I mean he has been a lot better than I think people thought he could be immediately in terms of his impact and and Marner too and you know it's I was high on their youth and a lot of these players it's just that you know, often you see it as a progression. You don't see them come in, and I mean, they're so they're so much better than the players they had last year. Like it's not even a comparison, and it's not like they're just 
treading water in the NHL are looking okay in the NHL. They're they're playing well. Like Matthews and Brown and Hyman are going against top lines in some games, and they're they're playing well. So it's you know it, I think it bodes well that I, I think what I thought is that there would be a mixed bag in terms of how the young players did, and that some would exceed expectations, some would be in the middle, and some wouldn't. And I can't really think of anyone who's like well under what we thought they would do. Well, because that's like usually how it goes with teams that bring in a lot of young guys, like one or two might be good, then three or four might struggle, you know, one might get sent down and that just hasn't happened. But I think you had a story earlier in the year on The Athletic, I guess it wasn't that long ago, um, just about that this would be the first time in, I think, team history, maybe the history of the league, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, that one team has ever dressed this many rookies for this many games in one season. Like this this doesn't happen a lot, let alone for this many to actually be contributing and playing well. Uh, But I just think it's interesting, like in in the case of Marner, like I think you and I, maybe on this podcast or just in person, we're discussing like what's the best plan for him this year? Is it to send him back? Is it to, you know, play him in the World Juniors? Is it to play him for nine games? Is it to play him for 40 games or whatever? And now it's like, it's crazy that it, you know, it was even a contemplation. You know what I mean? Like, so you just run down the list and all their players, when you have that combination of young players exceeding expectations pretty much all their veterans have been fine, you know, have, have kind of met expectations. Add that to Babcock, like, I don't know, there's not much that hasn't gone as they could have dreamed it going. Yeah, and the, the thing too is that I think they're they're like 14th in the NHL or something in points percentage or on pace to be about 14th, which is like average. But if you look at the analytics, like some of the new stats out there, like expected goals or just based on like where they're shooting the puck from and some of those things most of those advanced stats say that they should be even higher than 14th that they put them 9th or 10th or 11th in the NHL that they're actually like pretty close to a top 10 team and that there's 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 more talent than even what their record has shown and I think part of that is that they had all those goalie struggles early on and Roth was was terrible and I'm sure we're going to talk about what's going on with with the backup goalies um but in terms of true talent, I know that the egghead guys out there, the really smart uh, uh, analytics guys, think that the Leafs are even better than than 14th in the NHL. That's interesting. It's just like, and then when you think about, you know, some elements of their roster that I think you and I both would quibble with, you know, how they've used or who's been on that fourth line. You know, we've seen them drop the ice time of guys like Matt Martin, you know, that, that third defensive pairing with Polak and Hunwick. You wonder like what they'd look like if they had some different players in those spots. Like if they had a third pair, let's say, I don't know, of Marincin and Corrado or something like that, or you had a fourth line that could play a little bit more regularly. And this kind of brings me on a sidetrack that I wanted to ask you, but I was just thinking about it driving to your place. You look at, there was a story actually on The Athletic about this, you know, just about the way the lineup has been constructed. You know, that shutdown line, quote unquote, matchup line with Kadri and Komarov, and who's like the best fit on that line. And the best fit on that line statistically is Sashnikov, which kind of creates some problems if that's the ideal scenario, because then what do you do with Nylander and Brown, right? I think you and I would agree that Nylander probably should be playing with Matthews and Hyman or Matthews and Brown or whatever, but that's not going to happen if they're going against top lines. I guess my point is like, what it, what do you think their optimal lineup construction is because I feel like if you have Soshnikov in this fictional world with Kadri and Komarov suddenly there's not a place for everyone 
Does that make sense? Like suddenly you have like an extra forward if you're not going to use that fourth line properly. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, I, you know what? I'm okay with Sashnikov being a fourth line guy. Like I'm not sure that he's more than that. Is what I like. I haven't seen him do anything that that says to me. And I don't know if that's because of who he's played with or or what it is, but. I wonder if that's maybe his ceiling, and if you're talking about having a really good fourth line, that he's one of those guys that should be on that line. Yeah, it's it's tough with the line combinations they have. Like, I think Nylander works with Kadri because it gives him some skill to play with and gives him another guy that can carry the puck really well. And if they're only facing other teams' second lines, then he's not in as tough a situation. I mean, I think that with the way their record's been the last six, seven weeks, I would I'm okay with the roster construction with what they've done. The big question is, like you're talking about the third pair and the fourth line and stuff like that. Like there are some tap in things the Leafs can do in the off season to make to get rid of those really weak points on their roster. You know, and that's this week when the Leafs have been on the bye at the Athletic. Uh, some of our other guys like Dave Alter and, and Josh Cloak have been writing about the Marlies and their Marlies defensemen. And I think like if if someone like Travis Dermott can he's 20 years old if he can progress the way that he the way that he looked at the beginning of the year with the Marlies you know he can be a guy that could step right in on that third pair on the left side Hunwick and Polak are both UFA so maybe you get Dermot and you sign a right defenseman you have a different third pair that improves I mean they're playing a lot of minutes I mean forget the penalty kill like they're playing at even strength they're playing what I don't know 12 13 minutes a game you know, it's a pretty high percentage of the even strength minutes in the game. So you improve your team there for that 20 or 25% of the game that those guys play. And so that's like an example of a really easy thing they can do. I wonder if like long-term you're talking about roster construction, if Bozak isn't here, Nylander becomes your, excuse me, becomes your third line center and then, uh, and, and a really good power play guy. And then you've got three really dynamic lines and it's just about, I mean, Nylander would love to play with Kasperi Kapanen, who's one of his closest friends. I mean, they're they're living together now. I I read on on Sportsnet the other day, like they're 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 buds, and um, that would what a great third line that could be. Well, that creates like a, an interesting lineup when you think of like how it would look. Like you'd have Matthews on one line, you'd probably Kadri would either or sorry Marner would either be playing with Kadri. Or Matthews in that scenario, and Neander would just be on like some sheltered line. So that would be interesting. Anyway, that was just something I wanted to ask you about. Like it was a sidetrack kind of thing. The other thing, I guess, sidetrack wise, actually two other things sidetrack wise. I don't know why I'm calling them that, but they're just like not really main topics of conversation. But I was thinking about it with Kadri in the year that he's had. Do you think this is like his ceiling? Do you think this is like the peak of what he is? Like if if this is putting it all together, I think he's 26. You know, the shooting percentage numbers have come back to what they probably should be. He's, you know, about to blow past the goal total he had from all of last year. I think he's on track for like 50 points, something like that. He's now legitimately their second line center. I kind of feel like this is what he should be. And this is like, this is good for them if this is kind of what he is, a 20 goal guy, 50 points, second line center who can outpace other second lines. Do you think this is like his peak or do you think he's still got a bit more. No, you know what? I actually think he can be better because this year he's played in in pretty defensive situations, lots of defensive zone starts, lots of tough matchups. He's played with Leo Komarov, who's not really an offensive dynamo. 
you know, I think as the Leafs, imp- I think Kadri should be the second line center. I think that that's where he should slot in. Or if you have Nylander, maybe it's a 2A and a 2B kind of situation. But I think Kadri can be a 60-point guy in, in that second line role. I think he's got that talent. And I love the way that he plays on the power play. You know, I, I think that Kadri is is a great compliment to someone like Matthews, where Matthews can take the tough assignments, produce all the goals, and then Kadri's clean up and produce an offense on that second pair and on the and and they work together on the top power play unit often. And so I and he's only making four and a half million dollars a year long term. So and Kadri's still twenty six years old; he's in his prime. You know, I, there's a lot to really like there. Well, that's kind of the byproduct of Matthews now being basically not basically their number one center is now you can match Kadri not against number one lines but against number two and three lines and you know he can kind of take advantage of that other sidetrack thing I think you and I discussed this while the world juniors were going on Um, I watched that tournament pretty closely and you know got to see a lot of team Canada and I watched Dylan Strom and I'm really interested as to what he is like and how good he can be in the NHL what do you think would have happened if I don't know. Let's say, for example, sake that Arizona takes Marner or Arizona takes one of those defensemen, whether it's Wierenski, whether it's whoever, Provorov. What do you think the Leafs would have done at four if under those scenarios? Like, do you think they would have picked Strom? I was told by a pretty good source that they had Marner third in that draft. So they were... Makes you wonder... Like they liked some of the defensemen. They liked they liked Hannafin. They liked Warensky, I think. Um I mean what if they got Warensky? I mean, he's been fantastic. You know, I think that they had him right now that I mean, I know everyone loves Marner, but Warensky's been a number one defenseman in his first year and he looks he looks like the real deal. So um, but but they were really high on Marner. There was a lot of organizational debate. I know it's been talked about that Babcock kinda wanted a defenseman and that Mark Hunter knew Marner super, super well. And that's why they hired Mark Hunter. Is like he knows these prospects. He knows what they can do. Pretty interesting. You're gonna sneeze. Do you wanna take a break? Okay. We're gonna have to we might have to take a break at some point. I'm waiting for an interview. I don't know when this person is gonna call. Um you mentioned the changes in goal. Um there have been a few, you know, in the backup situation. It's kind of been it's not kind of been, it's been a point of uncertainty basically the whole year ever since, you know, they decided Mike Babcock, I presume decided that Jonas Enroth wasn't going to be the backup he needed. Um, they demoted Enroth, you know, then they traded Enroth. They picked up Curtis McElhaney. I don't think either you, you and I are convinced that Curtis Mac, what, what's the problem? I was just going to say Enroth was traded at one Oh three in the morning. That's when it was announced. I was going to bed. I had my laptop out. I was reading an article or something because I stay up late because I'm an idiot. And um, why was the trade made at one o three in the morning? Well, that would be ten o three Anaheim time, which still doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't know. I don't know how those things work. Why not just wait until six fifty the next morning? I don't know. Do you think Lou just like sleeps three hours a day or something and like like i just i don't get or did he like made the deal maybe he made it like 11 o'clock at night and then they had to like it had to be processed by the league and like why can't you even make a trade at 103 in the morning like why isn't it just like shut like who's even working in the league office that time 
Anyway, I had a lot of questions about it. Maybe like the next time I talk to Lou, I'll say like, what the, what are you, like, what the hell's going on? Like I had to write like a terrible blog at one in the morning. There should be a rule that you can't make a trade after 10 p.m. Eastern time. I just always have been fascinated. Like what does Lou text? Is he on WhatsApp? Does he send emails? So ask him that actually uh, when you get a chance, like how he communicates. Does he use emojis? Um, Anyway, they picked up Curtis McElhaney. I think you and I would both agree that he's not really a substantial upgrade, if at all, uh, over Jonas Enroth. But he is big, and we know Mike Babcock loves big goalies. He's going to be 6-3 in the net the whole time. You can guarantee Mike Babcock will say that at some point. But do you think he can actually be someone to give them a reliable, I don't know, insurance option isn't the right way to put it because he's not. But someone that they can actually use a little bit more often to kind of spell Frederick Anderson. So when I saw they claimed McElhinney, what was that two days ago? I started asking around the league. I know like some goalie people, and and the number one word they said about him is that he's not reliable. So you just ask, is he a reliable? Not really. Like he is. I think in Columbus he had a nine oh nine save percentage, which is bad. But I in his career he's nine oh five. He's 33 years old. Um, he had some bad games this year for them. Like that's why he ended up on waivers. Like if, if, if he, if, if, yeah. But he's played 85 games for the Columbus organization. You know, I just like I think there's a reason why the Blue Jackets put him on waivers. Like I think they know what he is, and they're like our young, we our younger goalies are better than this, and. You know, we're going for, I mean, they, that organization thinks they're going for a Stanley Cup. They don't, they want to be able to rest Bobrovsky, who's having an, an amazing year. And they just didn't feel comfortable in, in using McElhinney. I think the Leafs, they've got, I'm going to try and do some math here on the air. They've got 43 games left. Nine of them are the, are back, the second of back-to-backs. Um, if they play McElhinney all nine, where does that put Anderson in terms of games played? I think it puts him at 67. You don't want to go past 67. Like that's, he's played 33 so far. Let me see, 34. Yeah, yeah. So if he plays 34 more starts, that's going to be 67 starts and whatever relief appearances he has. That should be the absolute max that they give him this year. They, they can't go over 67. That's a 14 start jump or increase from his career high. That's a big jump. What Babcock has said is, Ideally, they wanted to use their backup 20 times. And they have 18 back-to-back, so it was basically every single back-to-back. That now has gone out the window because they've already had three back-to-backs. Or no, they've already had more than that. They've used Anderson in three back-to-backs. He's going to blow past 60 starts. And where I think they've got to be careful is overusing him. And, you know, A, he gets hurt. Or B, he just slows down because like it's hard to play that many games. You look at the schedule for some of these teams, it's insane. They're playing every other night for like weeks on end. I think this is going to be like a subtly concerning thing that could grow into kind of a, a dangerous situation if they're not careful. Not Yeah, it's not like over stretches they're playing every other night. The Leafs are literally going to play every other night the rest of the way. There's 80... When they come back from the bye on Friday against the Rangers in New York... There's 87 days left in their season between that day and the, their last day of the season. And they have 43 games to play. 43 games in 87 days. So there's one extra day where it's not... Like, at since I've gone to The Athletic, I've been trying to... I've always watched every Leafs game. I've been trying to write after every Leafs game. And I've been writing till 1 or 2 in the morning. And I'm a bit worried. 
especially, I mean, I've got a cold right now. I'm a bit worried it's going to kill me because I'm looking at the schedule and it's like, holy crap. Like most of the weeks, I think in February are four game weeks like that. That is the, the, and a normal season, there's like 3.06 games a week. So most, most of the time it's a three games a week schedule in the NHL. This year it's been heightened because of the bye week and because of the World Cup. And the Leafs have played, they've actually had a slower schedule in the first half than most teams. Like they've played fewer games than most teams right now. So they're going to be cramming in so many games. To get back to the point that you're making, I think like a big concern would be, remember there was that year where Carlisle just played Bernier like so many games and he had never done it before and his body broke down. Like he just, he couldn't do it. And to me, Anderson looks a bit fatigued, and maybe that's because the last time I saw him was the second half of the back-to-back, and he, that was, his, I would say, his second worst or his worst game of the year against Montreal. Babcock was not happy. He let in at least two bad goals, including one that was just a complete backbreaker in the third period, and after Anderson seemed tired, and he seemed a little bit defeated and down, and with the season he's had and how well he's played, he shouldn't be feeling that way. I mean, I mean, maybe maybe a guy would be like that after every game, but he just, I don't know. I, I just think it's too much to ask of this guy because if you, like he grew up in the European system where the seasons are much shorter and the games are much more spread out and the travel is much different. He's only been playing in North America for like four years, three years. Like he's, he stayed over there a long time. He went through the draft two times. You know, playing in the NHL is still pretty new to this guy. They can't just break his will in the first season, but Babcock wants to win so badly. And I think that the biggest concern, I know Leafs fans were saying how bad Enroth was and whatever. McElhaney might be just as bad based on what I heard of him. I know he's got like a slightly better save percentage and whatever, but he is kind of, he's kind of like a rhymer who's not as good as Reimer. Like he has a really unusual story with how he made it to the NHL. He's an underdog guy. Apparently he's a great guy. Um, but he's like, he's an AHL goalie that has found a way to stick as a backup for a long time because people like the person and whatever. But I think, especially with how many shots the Leafs give up, that's the thing I didn't say with Anderson. They give up so many shots. That's part of what's going to wear him down. But you put in a mediocre backup goalie against that and it could get ugly. I did a story on something along those lines about Anderson and how much he's playing and, you know, kind of the adjustment that that requires. You talked to, I talked to him about it. I remember talking to Jonathan Bernier about it. I remember talking to Reimer and Reimer never actually even became the kind of guy who was going to start 60 games in a year, but you talk to goalies like that is an adjustment. It's different. It's harder. Like you have to like change your habits. You have to change how you practice. You have to change how you sleep, how you eat, all that kind of stuff. Two things I wanted to, to mention when you're mentioning Mike Babcock. One, I don't think he was saying it was a mistake to start Anderson on a back-to-back. I think what he was saying is, you guys are asking me about this because we lost. Nobody was saying anything when they won the back-to-back. To me, that was what he was saying. I think the other thing is, this is going to be a really interesting subplot for them as the years go by. They've got to find like someone that Mike Babcock will actually be comfortable with using because we have seen and you know you see it with the backup goalie you see it with the way that he uses defense if he is not comfortable with that person he just won't won't use them like you look at you know star goalies across the league and who their backups are like Carey Price is Al Montoya you know Braden Holpe as Philip Grubauer like you need to have a guy that the coach actually feels comfortable with 
they're going to have to figure that out at some point. And, and I don't think it's like a big deal. You can find goalies. But I think it's kind of a subplot of how the team operates under Babcock. You have to find players that he's actually going to like and use. And if you look at the system with the Marlies, they don't have that guy. Like, I don't think Bebo is good enough to be that guy. I mean, maybe he's going to get better, but like his AHL numbers don't say that. And same with Sparks. And they don't have someone in the system unless it's Joseph Wool, who is years away because he's in college right now. I think you're right. I think I think that a lot of NHL teams underrate the importance of a backup. I think teams should put more resources into it. The guy is should be playing 18 to 20 games. He should be starting that. That's 25% of your season. I mean, I think you should I think backups should be making more money than they do. I think they should be probably played more than they do. I mean, if you want to be a contending team, what's the point in burning Anderson out just to make the playoffs? I mean, you want him to be fresh and great in the playoffs when he's playing every second night and I hate some of the responses I get on Twitter when I write. I wrote about Anderson and being overworked, and then people are like, "Oh, he's a he's an athlete." You know, the players play all the games. It's like the goalie plays every minute of every game, and like when you you know because you traveled all these games. When you do a back to back and there's travel involved, which is what happened there with that Montreal game. I can't even remember where they were the night before that, but they're in. Yeah, right. They're in New Jersey, so they've got to the game. That was a seven thirty game. Ends ten thirty. By the time they get to the airport. I don't know, midnight, by the time they get home, 2 a.m., 2.30 a.m., and then they've got to be at the arena. If they don't go to the morning skate, they've got to be at the team meeting, whatever, seven hours later. So they're getting like six hours sleep, maybe. I know when I play beer league hockey, I can't go to sleep after I play. Like some of these guys are getting four or five hours sleep, got to be at the arena. Maybe they get like a short nap, and then they play again. But to be a goalie at that level, to face the number of shots, he faced a lot of shots against New Jersey. It, it, put some strain on your body. It puts strain on their hips and their knees. And so I just, the schedule down the stretch is crazy. They, they, they're going to need McElhinney. And, and the thing too, like what if Anderson does get hurt? I mean, the, the Leafs, they're not going to make the playoffs is basically what's going to happen. All right, James, we took a, t- a brief break. I had an interview to conduct. Oh, I got to talk to Braden Holpe. I got to go. I didn't say that. He didn't want to go on the show. No, that was not what that was for. Sorry about that. Anyway, um, we were talking about the goalies and kind of the schedule and everything like that, which brings me to one of the the second. We're going to talk about the All-Star game, Austin Matthews, um, getting named to that. But the one thing I want to talk to you before, since we were talking about the schedule, is the bye week. Um, Mike Babcock said that he thinks it's, quote, 100% wrong for player safety. People on the other side would argue that coaches don't like it because they lose practice time. Uh, I think you can make a case both sides like as to it being good because it gives players a break when they wouldn't normally get a sustained break. But it also screws up the schedule and makes for what we were talking about where you have games every other night. What do you think the ideal solution is? Play fewer games in the NHL. They got to do it. I hope they do it in my lifetime. I mean, one time I was... I remember I was, I, I don't think he'll mind me saying this. I remember one time I was out for beers. This is years ago with Bill Daly at some event or something. And I said to him, there should only be 70 games in the season. And he, and he looked at me and said, how many? I said 70 and he didn't say anything. I mean, he, he can't, he can't say that he agrees with me or disagrees with me, but I know he's a big football fan. I know he's a big Miami Dolphins fan. So like you look at the foot NFL schedule, they only play 16 games and like, to me, like the wear and tear on the body and everything that we're talking about with Anderson in hockey is, I don't know, you would know with basketball better than me, but like it doesn't make any sense that they play as many games in hockey as they do in basketball, does it? 
No, and and basketball they had a problem in the NBA. Like they were they had one they had way too many back to backs, and they had like four and five nights, and they they've tried to change that a bit to lighten it, and they've talked about fewer games. It's not going to happen though. Take away twelve games, calculate the dollars that you don't make. It like it just isn't going to happen. I think that if if there were fewer games and they were spaced out a bit more, they would become bigger. They would become they become more important in the standings. There would be fewer of them. It'd be harder to get tickets, so tickets would go up in price. I think some of that would be offset. I think the ratings would be more because there's not like a game every two nights. Like I think if the NHL thought bigger, the games would be better. The hockey would be better if the players weren't playing every night. The, the, it would it would be a lot better. All of it would be better. They would be playing at a higher level. There'd be fewer injuries. There would be like they should take seventy two games. I'd be fine with take ten games out of the season. Uh, take three or four out of the preseason, move it all a little bit earlier. I know it's going to conflict with baseball at the beginning, but that's that's fine. Start the playoffs a little bit earlier and just spread it out just a little bit. Just let it breathe a little bit more. Get it down instead of 3.1 games a week, have, have it like 2.95 or something. And I think we would notice a difference. Like I know the Leafs don't have that tough of a travel schedule, but even theirs seems insane. And they always have a really high number of back-to-backs. And I think it's because... They always play Saturdays for Hockey Night Canada. Always, always, always play Saturday. Like, I don't know how many Saturday nights off I've had in, like, the eight years I've covered the Leafs. Not very many during the the NHL season. So I think what happens is that, and they very rarely play Sundays, but it's always Friday, Saturday. Like, they play more Friday, Saturdays, I bet, than any other team in the league by far. And usually it's on the road on a Friday, fly overnight, guys get the six-hour sleep plus a nap in the afternoon, and... And I know I know people are listening to this and saying, "Wow, they're athletes and whatever." It's like, yeah, but like, as a sports fan, you want to watch better games. And if the athletes are like, like they're they're not superhuman, they're they're a little bit superhuman, but they're not like a superhuman enough that they don't get tired. Even the young guys are getting tired. And I think that this this is part of the, this is what I wrote in my bi week piece. I think this is part of why we're seeing players forced out of the league at younger and younger ages. Why guys are retiring at thirty one and thirty two and thirty three now is we have all these analytics and they have all these the Leafs wear these like contraptions that measure their like bioanalytics and whatever and like how their body moves and like soon they're going to be able to a computer's going to be able to say how fast a 23-year-old player is, how fast a 26-year-old player is, how fast a 29-year-old player is and how fatigue affects that and all this stuff and anyway that well actually you've hit on kind of something that is around the Leafs and that they've sort of started to do when they hired Jeremy Bettle, who I think his title was like the director of sports science. Um, but one of the things that they can measure now is, you know, how tired guys are. And I remember talking to Joffrey Lupo at one point, I think it was last year, um, that there was a point where the medical guys told him not to practice. Like just, it wasn't, uh, he had had some issues, I think with his groin. And so they basically just said, take today off. It's better for you not to practice. And what I want to ask you, you brought me into it is, what we've seen in the NBA, and it's become a little bit of a problem, is now teams with all this data are saying, we're not going to play guys on the second half of a back-to-back. We are just going to rest players. And I'm not sure I could ever see in the NHL, you know, Mike Babcock on a second half of a back-to-back saying to Austin Matthews, you're not playing, you're going to rest. But I wonder if eventually, if you don't change the schedule, if you don't lighten it in some way, if we get to that point. It's because the computers are telling them what the... Like, I went to Sloan. I was a speaker on the hockey panel two years ago. And I went to some of the other panels. And, like, in the NFL, this has become a big deal. Where, they're like, they're measuring, like, the... 
I, I don't know if you call it bioanalytics or what you call it, but it's like in the NFL, they've had a really hard time incorporating analytics in terms of like what plays to call and what players to, it, it's, it, it's been very difficult for them. They say it's as hard in the NFL to incorporate analytics as it is in the NHL, which really surprised me. But the one way they found they can use analytics is injury prevention is what they're doing in the NFL. And there's so much money in the NFL. There's billions and billions and billions of dollars that they are dumping. Every team is spending millions on injury prevention. And the way they're doing that is they're wiring the players up and they're measuring all their fatigue factors and they're like doing all these things. And it's creating things like you said where, so I bet you what's happening in the NBA. The NBA is, is baseball's number one in terms of analytics. The NBA is right there now. They're spending so much money. It's the Daryl Morey effect, the Houston Rockets. I've never been interested in the NBA. I got interested in the NBA at Sloan because they were talking about some of this stuff and there were Harvard professors up there with these charts and it was like it was like holy crap. Like this is amazing. It's big data affecting sports. I was going to say so what's happening is I bet you what's happening is the computers are able to tell you I don't know the NBA player NBA players that have been sat who who who's been sat in the second half. Everyone like they've sat LeBron, they've sat Kevin Love, they've sat Kyrie. Like basically every star now gets sat at one point. So the computer is saying that we know what LeBron looks like in the first half of back to back. The percentage we know what he looks like in the second half of back to back. We know what he looks like when he has to play four and five nights. We know the percentage of how fast. Maybe not in game, but I don't know if they let in, in the NHL. They can't wear them in game. I think the Marlies are actually wearing them during games or at least in warm-ups. You're not allowed to in the NHL right now. I tried to write about this, but <laughs> the Leafs won't tell you anything. But we know they come off and they're wearing these, like, the, it's called catapult. They're wearing these, these like, bra things with, like, a battery pack in the back, and it's measuring everything that happens with their body. It can measure whether one leg or the other leg is uh, carrying the load in terms of how they skate or how they run in the case of the NFL. So they can tell before the player knows whether or not they're going to have a knee or a groin. Or This is a total tangent that we're on right now. But I bet you like what the data probably tells them, resting LeBron means that he's going to be that much better in the next game. Whereas playing him at 80% doesn't make sense when we know if we sit him, he's going to be 100% the next game. But we know hockey is, there's a culture and I just can't, I'm not sure I can see within the next 10 years, five years, I don't know, a coach saying, I'm going to take Nicholas Backstrom out of the lineup and basically, I don't know, give my team, a lower my team's chances of winning. Like, can you actually see that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure we're close to that point, but I think if this continues, we get to that point. And this brings me back to Anderson. All that can happen is he's fatigued from playing too many games and he gets hurt. And it can be something like, you know, groin injuries, once you get them, like it can become a chronic thing. You could, I don't know, you could hurt your knee. Who knows? Like, you know what I mean? Like all it takes is one domino to fall for this to become like an issue. So they got to be careful in that sense. Yeah, 100%. 100%. But I, I disagree with you though. Like I think that as the analytics becomes more prevalent in hockey, I think that guys like Bettle are going to get more and more say in the organizations and... They're gonna they're gonna be able to like put a big chart in front of Mike Babcock and say like if we sit Austin Matthews he's gonna do this this and this in like the next two weeks and Babcock will be like okay I want to win so let's do it. That's a great question. So so let's say let's imagine this conversation. You know, Beto comes to to Babcock and says you know we don't think you should play Matthews second half of the back to back against Montreal. We think you should sit him. Not only that, we 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 can we tell you that we he needs to not play. How do you think that conversation is going to go? 
No, but I think that, like, I'm not saying that, that all of a sudden Bettle has more of a say than Babcock. I'm saying that he'll have data that's good enough that he can show him and say, this is what will happen. Or or he'll have data that says, we've been measuring the skate load on the left and right leg for Matthews, and he's at 89% effectiveness in his left leg, and we think there's developing an ACL issue. We need to sit him in the second half of the back of the back so we can get that up from 89% to 96% because then we know that he's less likely to get injured. He gets injured, he's going to miss three weeks. He's making, let's say he's making $10 million at that point. Three weeks of the season making $10 million, that's like we're wasting $800,000 on this guy. Why don't we sit him one game and then we don't waste $800,000? Well, that's really interesting because the guy who's done it who kind of started the ball in the NBA is Greg Popovich, who is, I don't know, like if you're thinking NBA, NHL terms, you know, Babcock is not Popovich, but he's kind of in that same ballpark, kind of a forward thinker. So maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe that's eventually the point they get to where Babcock says, you know, it's better in the long-term interests. And at that point, the team is probably going to be trying to win cups for the team to say, you know, we'll sacrifice Austin Matthews one night because we want to make sure He's fresh for the playoffs. Uh, that brings us to the last thing we want to discuss, and that's the All-Star selection. Matthews is the youngest Leaf All-Star since Wendell Clark. Um, I'm not really surprised the second guy didn't get named. I think I thought we said on this podcast that maybe there'd be two. Maybe Anderson would get in, but it was never going to happen with Price. Uh, and there's only one other goalie slot. Any surprise at all? Or No, not really. And I think on the last podcast I said Marner, but then I went and looked and at, at the time when I looked, he was, I thought he would be in like the top 15 in terms of scoring in the East among forwards. And he was more like 30th or something. So like, and he's, he's come on since then. He had the three point game against Montreal. And, you know, I think Marner's going to be at all-star games in his career. I, I think that there's going to be times where, I mean, he looks like he can be a 70, 80 point guy. Um, but it, it made sense that Matthews went. The other thing that was interesting, I don't know, there was a piece where someone suggested that maybe Lamarillo didn't want one of the rookies to go, didn't want Matthews to go, and there was discussion about that. So I asked Bill Daly, and he said, we have the final decision. I mean, if even if Lamarillo said, I want to send James Van Riemsdyk, or I want to send Frederick Anderson, or whatever, I'm pretty sure the NHL would say, no. We're sending this kid who's on pace for 45 goals, who's from Arizona. The game's in California. This is a showcase for our best players. He's one of our best players in the league. By the analytics, Matthews is the fifth best center in the NHL already. He should probably be at the All-Star game. Okay, well, we were talking about this before we started recording, and then we have to go. Um, But I was doing like a mid-season award pick kind of thing, and I was just thinking of like all the different candidates, maybe for Hart. He's not in the top five. But like, he's he's not, is he in the top 10? Is he in the top 15? I mean, his value to the Leafs, who have been a surprise team, is immense. I don't know. Do you think he's like, it's stupid to even say that? No, because he's the Leafs MVP and the Leafs are tracking. I think they're still on pace to make the playoffs even after the Montreal. I think they're, they're on pace to be eighth or ninth in the eighth or ninth best record in the East. I mean, if he has, he's on pace for 44, 45 goals. If he has 45 goals, he would be second in the league in in goal production behind Crosby this year. And the Leafs make the playoffs. I think you have to ignore, like, take if he's not a rookie, if he's just a guy, and that's what he does, and he has 45 goals, he's the Leafs' best player, they make the playoffs, they're legit. Um, He's going to get... And I think the thing, too, is that in the PHWA, I mean, I think too much gets made of this, but most a lot of the voters are in Toronto, 
there's going to be guys that that give him fifth place votes or fourth place votes. Like he's going to get some votes for the the Hart Trophy, I think, as long as he doesn't fall off a cliff here. I mean, his shooting percentage now is creeping up and up, and we could have a debate. And we were talking about it being twelve and a half or thirteen percent two or three weeks ago. Now it's at fifteen. So. I think 15 is like potential. That's where that's what Crosby's is the last five years. But I think that might be where Matthews settles. But we'll see. Well, he just shoots it so much that I don't know. He's bound to score some goals, and he gets a lot of great chances. Anyway, we've run out of time. There's no actually official time. We just figure there's a certain amount of time where we're supposed to stop, and you have work to do, and I have work to do. So we will be back next week. Thanks, James. So let's go back Thanks for tuning in to The Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle.